This is a Fuente podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Another episode. Um, I wanted to speak quickly about the Islamic Golden Age. And so I've talked about how just the worldview of Islam is detrimental to human progress. But at the same time, you see, like from the period of 900 to 1300, this explosion of arts and technology and uh, just like beautiful things coming out of the uh, Abbasid Caliphate. And so what's the discrepancy there? Well, what happened was they got a hold of a lot of... So you go forward a couple centuries, enough to kind of forget about the historical Muhammad, and they started focusing on these hadith that really, really saw the importance of learning. And actually, it's not because they leaned into Islamic belief they exploded, but it's kind of the other way around, where you actually see during this time period there's a lot more... um, there's a lot more patience with other religions um, and way less focusing on conquesting through violent conquest and forcing people to pay the jizya. Um, so there's an explosion of philosophy and algebra, geometry, trigonometry, calculus. <clears throat> but it's not like they were reading the Quran and the Hadith and being like, we want to be exactly like Muhammad, and he was a scientist, so that's what we're going to do too. Um, it wasn't really like that. Um, it was much more... It's much more complicated. Uh, Christians, especially the adherents of the Church of the East, contributed to Islamic civilization. So this is uh, from Wikipedia. I don't have any good books on this. That's why I really haven't covered it before now. But I just want people to know I'm aware of this part of history. And yes, my theory does. Just like my theory can explain how a peaceful religion like Christianity could turn into a violent crusades, it can also explain how a violent religion could have a peaceful area. All you have to do is have your adherents not adhering to the primary source documents and the original historical context of the religion that they started. Uh, so this from Wikipedia. Christians, especially adherents to the Church of the East, contributed to Islamic civilization during the reign of the Umayyads and Abbasids by translating the works of Greek philosophers in ancient science to Syriac and afterwards to Arabic. They also excelled in many fields, in particular philosophy, science, such as Hunayn ibn Ishaq, Yusuf al-Khuri, Ahimzi, Kusta ibn Luka, these are Christians, Masawiye, Patriarch Uetikius, and Jibril ibn Buktishu. In theology, for a long period of time, the personal physicians of the Abbasid Caliphs were often Assyrian Christians. Among the most prominent Christian families to serve as physicians to the Caliphs were the Buktishu dynasty. Through the 4th to 7th centuries, Christian scholarly work and the Greek and Syriac languages was either nearly translated or had been preserved since the Hellenistic period. Among the prominent centers of learning and transmission of classical wisdom were Christian colleges such as the School of Nisbis, the School of Edessa, the Pagan University of Haran, and the renowned Hospital Medical Academy of Jundishapur, which was the intellectual, theological, and scientific center of the Church of the East. The House of Wisdom was founded in Baghdad in 825, modeled after the Academy of Gandishapur. It was led by a Christian physician, Hunayn ibn Ishaq, 
with the support of Byzantine medicine. Many of the most important uh, philosophical and scientific works of the ancient world were translated, including the Galen, Hippocrates, Plato, Aristotle, Ptolemy, and Archimedes. Many scholars of the House of Wisdom were of Christian background. Okay, so it's just very different from, you know, slay all the unbelievers. Um, also, within this time period, there was a poet named Rumi who, like, I actually love, he was a Persian guy, I love his poetry. There's one particular poem that I even had, there's a there's a musical version of it done by Eric Whitaker that played whenever Hillary entered the church when, I was, when we got married. Um, now I'll read that real quick for you. May these vows and this marriage be blessed. May it be sweet milk. This marriage like wine and halva. May this marriage offer fruit and shade like the date palm. May this marriage be full of laughter. Our every day a day in paradise. May this marriage be a sign of compassion, a seal of happiness here and hereafter. May this marriage have a fair face and good name, an omen as, un as welcomes the moon in a clear blue sky. I am out of words to describe how spirit mingles in this marriage. Gives me chills even reading it right now. And so I'm not saying that any country that's Islamic is just incapable of beauty or art or music or whatever. But I do think that when it does flourish, it's despite what historical Islam claims. Okay, that's my point. And like I said before, you can cherry pick good Hadith and make it good. But if you don't cherry pick and take the good and the bad, it ends up very hostile to other ideas and it's very violent. Okay. Now, I want to start, um, I'm going to start today, and I'm just going to go for a little while. I'm going to do a little mini-series called Highlights of the Quran, and I'm just going to go through the Quran and read what I've highlighted. We'll start with the cow. Oh, actually, we can read the, this is the exordium. Praise be the, to God, Lord of the universe, the merciful and compassionate, sovereign of the day of judgment. You alone we worship, and to you alone we turn for help. Guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have favored, not one, uh, not of those who have provoked your ire, nor of those who've lost their way. Okay, so that's the first surah of the Quran. All right, I'm going to read at the beginning. Aleph im mim. This book doesn't is not to be doubted. It is a guide for the righteous who believe in the unseen and are steadfast in one prayer. Two who give. Well, it doesn't say one and two. From what we gave them who believe in what has been revealed to you and what has been revealed before you and have absolute faith in the life to come. These are rightly guided by the Lord. They shall surely succeed. As for the unbelievers, it is the same whether or not you forewarn them. They will not have faith. God has set a seal upon their hearts and ears. Their sight is dimmed and grievous punishment awaits them. Okay, I'll pause right there. That's interesting because you see... Very similar to like foreign, uh, not foreign, to, to reformed theology. Like the reason that they don't choose God is because they can't. Okay, I'll keep going. And some there are who declare, we believe in God in the last day, yet they are no true believers. They seek to deceive God and those who believe him, but they deceive none save themselves, though they may perceive it, though they may not perceive it. There is a sickness in their hearts which God has aggravated. Grievous punishment awaits them for the lies they ever told. 
okay? And you'll see there's constant references to grievous punishment and fire and hell much more than you would find in like the Bible. If you read the Quran, there's over 539 references to hell. Those are all just using the word hell. Um, it also talks about sh shameful punishment and fire, and it brings it up pretty much every other word. And there's 77,000 words in the Quran. The Bible, on the other hand, references hell 13 times, and the Bible has 727,000 words. So if you have like the amount of times hell is mentioned per word, here, let me do that math for you real quick. So if you plug all that in, you see that uh, hell pops up in the Bible once every 53,846 words. In the Quran, it pops up every 129 words. Uh, 129 words means that it pops up uh, usually a couple times every page. So it's pretty, it, it's pretty common that hell pops up in the Quran. Um, Alright, let's just go to my highlights. You people, worship your Lord who has created you and those who has gone before you, so that you may guard yourselves against evil. Uh, who has made the earth a bed for you and the sky a dome, and has set down water from the sky to bring forth fruits for your sustenance? Do not knowingly set up other deities besides God. Okay, so there's two weird things going on here. One is worship your Lord who created you, and the ones who've gone before you. So you're supposed to be worshiping your ancestors. And then it says, do not knowingly set up other deities besides God. So does that mean you're allowed to worship other deities as long as you're not doing it knowingly? That was just something that puzzled me. Okay, continuing with Surah 2.23. And if you doubt that we revealed to our servant, produce one Surah comparable to it. Call upon your idols to assist you if what you say be true. But if you fail... As you are sure to fail, then guard yourselves against the fire, whose fuel is humans and stones prepared for the unbelievers. So there's an example of, actually my count for hell is even higher because I didn't con include the word fire in my, in my count. Or like shameful punishment. There's a lot of uh, synonyms for hell that are, so it's, it's referred to almost every other verse actually. Um... If you doubt what we've revealed to our servant, produce one sir comparable to it. This is interesting. If you remember all my podcasts that had to do with um, Kirat and Aruf and all the variations, because they can't all be the book that was in heaven. So that means that there's literally thousands of variants out there that are actually copying the style of the Quran from the Muslims' own sources, because all of those can't be you know, the original book in heaven. So they're all copying the style in one way or another. So that's a big issue. The other issue is, remember the book, Al-Furqan Al-Haq, it was this book that was written by Christians that copies the style of the Quran. That's the other problem. Another problem is, that's such a subjective test anyway. So like, no matter how closely you copy the style, a Muslim could say, well, you're not actually copying the style because I don't feel like it's copying the style. It's just a very silly test to tell if a religion's true or not. Okay. This is uh, continuing on. Uh, and proclaim joyful tidings to those that believe and do good works. They shall dwell in gardens 
watered by running brooks. Wherever they are given fruit to eat, they will say, This is what we used to eat before. For they shall be, give, uh, shall be given the like, wedded to chaste spouses. They shall abide therein forever. Okay, so you're going to get virgins in heaven. Now, this is really funny because ABC News actually lies about this. Is there anything in the Quran that promises 72 virgins for a, for a holy martyr? I don't see any evidence in the Quran for the pledge of 72 virgins. This notion of 72 virgins actually comes from a mistranslation, uh, with the real translation being 72 raisins. That's really interesting because um, that word she's translating as raisin is hori, uh, and that's not even the word used in this particular surah. It just says chaste spouses, so spouses that haven't had sex yet. but. <clears throat> um, maybe that's raisins? Fortunately, this particular ideology is referenced several times in the Quran, so maybe if we look up other verses that mention the same idea, we can get rid of any ambiguity in the text as we try to interpret it. Okay, as for those who believe and do good works, this is from 457. As for the, we shall admit them into gardens watered by running brooks, wherein wedded to chaste spouses they shall abide forever. To a cool shade we shall admit them. Okay, not a lot of helpfulness there. Let's see here. 44, verse 40 to 59. Let me turn over there real quick. You should never just take people's word for it. You always got to look this stuff up. Surely the righteous shall be lodged in a mansion, secure amid gardens, and fountains face to face, arrayed in rich silks, a fine brocade that's as a clothing material. Even thus we shall wed them to dark-eyed ories. So dark, where we shall wed them to dark-eyed raisins? Secure against all ills, they shall call for every kind of fruit. And having died once, they shall never die again. So are we supposed to, when we die, be married to dark-eyed raisins? That's interesting. Let's actually, there's even more verses that will help us to um, interpret what this text is actually saying. We can go to 78 verse 32. As for the righteous... There shall surely be a triumph, gardens and vineyards, in tender-bosomed, or full-grown, or swelling, or pear-shaped, pear-shaped boobs. So, uh, let's see, gardens and vineyards, and tender-bosomed maidens, or pear-shaped maidens, for companionship, a truly overflowing cup. Well, so that's interesting. Um, now we have raisins that have big boobs, and they have dark eyes that you can be wedded to. You, can you see how the more you study Islam, the more silly the kind of stuff there is out there talking about it that pretends to be telling you the truth about it? You just you can't really trust anything with Islam. There's just so much misinformation out there. So whenever you hear this stuff, you need to go to primary sources and just like check it, you know? Okay, how will you deny God? I'm skipping down to 229. Did he not give you life when you were dead, and he will not cause you to die, then restore your life? Will you not return to him at last? He created for you all that the earth contains. Then, ascending to the sky, he fashioned it into seven heavens, and he has knowledge of all things. 
I just thought that was interesting because it's such a uh, bizarre thing that reference there. And when your Lord's uh, when your Lord said to the angels, "I am placing on the earth one that shall rule as my deputy," uh, they replied, "Will you put there one who will do evil and shed blood when we have for so long sung your praises and sanctified your name?" He said, "I know what you know not." He taught Adam the names of all things and then set them before the angels, saying, Tell me the names of these, if what you say be true. Okay, so he taught Adam the names of things. And then he set them before the angels, saying, Tell me the names of these, if what you say be true. Um, okay, glory be to you, they replied. We have no knowledge except what you've given us. You alone are all knowing. Then he said, Adam, tell them their names. And when he had named them, he said, Did I not tell you that I know the secrets of heaven and the earth and know all that you reveal and what you conceal? So he taught Adam the names of everything, but then he also had Adam name them all. That's like a contradiction. He just told Adam the names of everything, and then he has Adam name them all. Okay, skip it down a little bit. Well, said, uh, well, said, we said, Adam, dwell with your spouse in paradise, and both of you eat of the fruits to your heart's content wherever you will, but never approach this tree, and you shall both become transgressors. Now, this was interesting because it's kind of like a reference to the, uh, the Garden of Eden narrative. Um, but Satan lured them thence and brought them about their banishment. Get you down, we said, and be enemies to each other. The earth will provide for you an abode and comforts for a time. Then Adam received commandments from his Lord, and his Lord relented towards him. He is the relenting one, the compassionate. Can you see how this kind of sounds like? Okay, we'll do like a Bayesian logic argument here. Does this sound like someone who's getting a book from heaven, or does it sound like someone who's recalling... Bible stories that have been told to him and he's recalling them secondhand and leaving out a huge amount of detail. Get you down hence all, we said. When my guidance is revealed to you, those that follow my guidance shall have nothing to fear or to regret. But those that deny and reject our revelation shall be the inmates of the fire. There we go with hell again. Wherein they shall abide forever. Um, there's actually a whole lot of lips of Bible stories, but that this is really representative of the, the Quran right there, how it just kind of started in the middle of that story, and it doesn't really continue on from it, and it gave us no background before it. It's just kind of like, it's almost as though someone was remembering things off the top of their head and not getting the entire story down in an orderly fashion. Because from there it just goes, children of Israel, remember the favor I've bestowed upon you. Keep your covenant. And I will be true to mine. Dread my power. Have faith in my revelations, which confirm your scriptures. I think that's interesting, too. Reading the Quran, you over and over see this, in fact, this emphasis on how the Torah and like how all the scriptures that came before are reliable and righteous and holy and how they should have paid more attention to them. And that's funny because Muslims today will try to say that these have been corrupted over time, but they do not. They do not get these arguments from the Quran. And that's also funny because a lot of the stories in the Quran have details that are wrong. And if you're emphasizing the righteousness and holiness and 
God-givenness of the Bible, it contradicts the Quran all kinds of places, as we'll get into if I do if I keep doing highlights of the Quran. I might just do this as a special thing once in a while. I don't want to go through the entire thing with everything I've highlighted. Children of Israel, remember the favor I've bestowed upon you and that I exalted you above the nations. That's interesting because in other parts of the Quran it talks about how they were always um, Muslims, but here it kind of stipulates that it's Israelites. Hmm, that's weird. Alright, I'm skipping ahead. And when Moses requested water for his people, we said to him, Strike the rock with your staff. Um, Thereupon... Twelve springs gushed from the rock and each tribe to their drinking place. This is interesting because in the Bible, God does not direct Moses to strike the rock with with his staff. He hits it because he's angry. Um, And God gets mad at him for this. Um, The reason that's interesting is because why would Jews make up that Moses did something bad? Because like here in the Quran, it just says, and when Moses requested water for his people, we said to him, strike the rock with your staff. Um, well, maybe, so maybe there's actually a time when God asked him to do that. I can't remember. It's so, it's been a while since I read Exodus. But if that is true, that's a problem. Actually, I'm going to look that up for you real quick. Yeah, I was right. Go me. I'm so smart. Yeah, so he, uh, it's in Numbers... Uh, chapter 20 says the Lord says to Moses uh, let's see take the staff you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water you will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, uh, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as a holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. That's a blatant contradiction with the Quran. But the Quran just seems like a story that somebody's kind of half remembering that they heard a couple days ago, and they're restating it. There's not like an attention to detail. All right, keeping going with the Quran. Moses, you said, we will no longer put up with this monotonous diet. Call on your Lord to give us some of the varied produce of the earth. Green herbs, cucumbers, corn, lentils, and... Yeah, I'm just that. It's boring. Okay. So that uh, narrative is quickly interrupted with this. This is interesting. Believers, those who follow the Jewish faith, Christians and Sabians, whoever believes in God in the last day and does what is right shall be rewarded by their Lord. They have nothing to fear or regret. Um, that's interesting because as we continue with the Quran, you're going to see that the Jews and the Christians are destined for hell over and over. But here they're not. That's a contradiction. Okay, um, keep going. Uh, you have heard that those that broke the Sabbath, we said to them, change into detested apes. We made their fate an example of their own generation and to those who followed them in a lesson to the righteous. And I just highlighted this. So where the hell did he get this? Apparently, 
people broke the Sabbath and God turned them into apes because of this. Now, whenever you see bizarre stories like this in the Quran, a lot of times you can Google it, and it turns out that it's from some like weird Gnostic gospel or something. So I'm just going to look this up right now. Quran, uh, Sabbath, violator, turned into apes, origin. Okay, and I'm going to put this in and, and we'll see what this came from. Okay, I can't find the origin document with this one for right now, but yeah, I did see online that there's two other times where Allah turns people into apes and then another time where he turns people into apes and pigs. That's interesting. I'll look into that before uh, and hopefully I can get back to you on that on a future episode. Okay, skipping ahead. Some among them are illiterate, ignorant of the book, and know of nothing. I'm here at 277 now. But wishful fancies and vague conjecture. Woe betide those that write the book with their own hands, and then declare, This is from God, in order to gain some paltry end. Woeful shall their fate be because of what their hands have written, because of what they did. So in other words, if you, if you write a book and say, This is the word of God, woe to you. I end up my notes, but what, like being king of the Arabian Peninsula and receiving a special revelation? <laughs> this is like describing exactly what Muhammad's doing. All right, skipping down to a uh, couple of ayahs, you can see another reference to hell. Truly those that commit evil and become engrossed in sin shall be inmates of the fire, wherein they shall abide forever. But those that have faith and do good works shall be the tenants of paradise, wherein they shall abide forever. And paradise is really awesome because you can have big-breasted raisins if you go there. All right, 283. And when we made a covenant with the Israelites, we said, Serve none but God. Show kindness to your parents, to your kin, to orphans, and to the destitute. Exhort people to righteousness. Attend to your prayers and render alms. I highlighted that just because I actually liked it. I finally found uh, an ayah in this freaking book that actually wasn't like confusing bizarre really really stupid immoral uh terrifying or dumb and so i just had to highlight it and wanted to share it with you guys i was like oh i actually like that all right skipping down i have another uh highlight here on uh surah 296 they will never wish for death because of what they did and god knows the wrongdoers indeed you will find that of all people, they love life most, more than the pagans do. Each of them would love to live a thousand years, and even if his life were indeed prolonged, that would surely not save him from the scourge. God is cognizant of what they do. So when I did my, my search for the word hell, I didn't include the scourge either. Um, so there's actually even more references to hell than I'd realized. I'm skipping to 2.106. Oh, here we go, abrogation. Any verse we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, we will replace by a better one or similar. Did you not know that God has power over all things? This is interesting because ABC News lies about this as well. Is it true, though, that those words should then supersede anything he said earlier? Not at all. I repeat, any verse we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, we will replace by a better one or one similar. Looks like... ABC News tried to abrogate the Quran. I'm going to continue with that ayah. Did you not know? Because I want you to realize, so back to that Bayesian uh, logic, I want you to realize if somebody was making this shit up as they went, they would, every time they said something dumb, they'd probably want to put a threat in there from 
their source of power to make sure that people got scared out of questioning. Okay? Did you not know that God has power over all things? Did you not know that it is God who has sovereignty over the heavens and the earth and that there is none besides God to protect you or help you? Or would you rather demand of your apostle that which was once demanded of Moses? He that barters faith for unbelief has surely strayed from the right path. Boom. Take that, haters. No, abrogation is fine. And if you question it, you're straying from the right path. Okay, I'll stop right there for this episode. That's long enough. Um, And then I might do more um, highlights from the Quran as we continue on with this podcast series. Um, If I'm going to read all this whole book, I'm going to force you guys to struggle through it with me.